welcome again, everybody, to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast. Russell Jackman and myself, of course, uh, Buddy Satella, and we have, I'm bringing aboard a guest. Uh, this is on 9-11, so of course we want to pay our respects, uh, the 21st anniversary of this uh, event, and uh, it touched so many lives, as did the death of Queen Elizabeth, which is major, major story, because for her, uh, Simmons and myself, uh, Mr. St. Louis, as I call him, she's been the only monarch we've known. And for many other people, I think less than 5% of the planet knew her father. But uh, also want to pay respect to Ernie Shavers, an incredible boxer uh, in the Ali era. He had you know one fight with Ali, uh, one with Larry Holmes, a great guy, died at 79. We didn't get to pay respect to him last time. But Mr. St. Louis, Herb Simmons, knew and worked with an idol of mine in Sam Munchnik. I was blessed to have shot X amount of events there that Herb's great friend, our Larry Matisic, always got me pressed for. But uh, Herb is promoter of Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. He is a book, at least one book, co-author on Wrestling at the Chase, a beautiful, beautiful book, uh, and uh, has done so much for the wrestling industry. He does things for the Iowa Wrestling at the Thes Tragus Museum Hall of Fame, now for Cauliflower Alley, for everything. And uh, Herb, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate you. We want to thank your daughter, Jessica, for helping you with Skype to get you booked on the show. So you're a co-promoter for the night, Jessica. Big thank you to Jessica, Herb's daughter. But uh, Herb, um, St. Louis was the epitome for me, which is why I had my Sam Munchnik weekend, uh, you know, for the boys thing in 1991, a three-day convention. The boys all trans themselves in. It was like Cauliflower Alley. I didn't have to pay for any of them from my MC Luthez to Ernie Ladd to, you know, zillion wrestlers. They did that not for me, but be, their love and respect for Sam, who has love and respect from the entire sports community of, of St. Louis, the state of Missouri and Kansas, the state of Kansas. Is, he was a big deal uh, as part of Major League Baseball as a sports writer. So St. Louis, one of the greatest sports towns in the world, and Sam was right at the epicenter, which is why he has all that credibility, which is why Bob Costas has talked about him relentlessly and many other legit top-of-the-line uh, people in the sports world, non-wrestling sports world. What is St. You know, Herb, were you born and raised in, in Missouri, in St. Louis? I was born in Illinois, right across the uh, river from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, and and your comments of Sam is right on point. Uh, you know, Sam was uh, to the wrestling uh, industry and business to what Babe Ruth was to baseball. Um, and yeah. it wasn't just here in St. Louis, you know, even though that, that was kind of a misconception for many, many years, they they always thought the terror, everybody had their territories and it ran from here to there. You know, Sam's territory consisted of St. Louis and, um, and, and that's, that's what he wanted. And that's what he, that's where he ruled with a, uh, 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 iron fist with was right here from a beautiful downtown St. Louis, Missouri. And, and the keel and of course the chase, which, uh, smashing pumpkins, Billy Corgan has come into it. We lost you, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry. You, did you lose my audio? Hello. Can you hear no, me? I can Hello. still hear you. Okay. But uh, yeah. Herb, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. What I was saying was, uh, rushing at the chase, you know, later the check 
involved when they were maybe events that would draw a larger crowd, the air-conditioned, as it was advertised, Checkerdome. But the Chase Hotel held the, the, the tapings were, and I went to only a few of them, five different times uh, in the 70s, but they, they were the Sunday tapings, weren't they, the Sunday afternoons at the Chase Hotel? Well, that's, you know, that's um, a lot of history even before that. Um, in fact, you mentioned the, uh, the book that I helped author Ed Wheatley here just recently write the uh, coffee table book on. Uh, one of the uh, issues that him and I had a dispute over was is that they originally, back in the day, started taping on Wednesday nights. And he argued with me that there was no documentation of that. He couldn't find that anywhere in the archives. And I had a tape from 1962 with Joe Gary Giola. Uh, you know, he was the first play-by-play announcer that started in 1959. Well, and a baseball gamer and the host of the Today Show. He, he couldn't get any oh, bigger than Gary Giola. And later, yeah, he was his brother, yeah. correct? He would succeed him doing uh, ring announcing. Yeah, Mickey would. And Joe was, it was quoted as saying many, many times out of the jobs that he had, the wrestling at the chase uh, doing the play-by-play was by far the fondest uh, fun fun time he had in his uh, career. In fact, I remember sitting at uh, Mickey's uh, funeral in between him and Yogi Berra uh, because they all grew up on the hill in St. Louis. And uh, Joe was telling that story about how even as he went on and later on in life, he never forgot where Sam got him started in uh, the play-by-play announcing. But Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to ask you about how you got started in professional wrestling, where your origins came from, since you're one of the OGs of, yeah. of St. Louis. Well, and believe it or not, that is the easiest question to answer. Uh, I got involved as a fan, uh, as we all did. I mean, uh, I assume that you helping Mike, uh, I know Mike got into Russell's it. Russell's a heel manager. Russell, uh, as Buddy Satella, heel wrestler yeah. in the Northern California, West Coast area. So, but he started, we all started as fans, as Marks. Always started, yes. And uh, and then I I had the opportunity of my dear late friend, Larry Matisek, my greatest friend uh, ever, um, got me into the business uh, as far as I was doing independent shows. And of course, back uh, then, you know, he started with Sam when he was 16 years old. And never really had any other job but with Sam Muchnick uh, until, you know, Sam retired. Then he uh, he went to work for uh, Vince McMahon for 10 years, which was uh, the worst uh, job he ever had. Uh, he, he hated it from day one. But um, and I want to get into that, too, because when Sam retired and there was a huge retirement show similar to the Paul Bosch one in Houston, where like everybody in the business came in. Because they had, these were the two most beloved guys uh, and the most honest promoters. There were, you know, some others like Papa Gus Karras, who worked for Geigel in KC, who was a legendary gentleman. I've never heard anybody say anything with glowing stuff about Gus Karras. They all loved the guy. And I'm talking everyone from Mike George to Easy Ed Wyskowski, anybody that Jesse Ventura, Jimmy Brunzel. Uh, they all love. You won't him. find nobody. You won't find nobody to say anything bad about him. No, no, and everybody. But I, I do want to add. Well, let's let's let me take it further. I can throw a question into Russ's mouth. What was the first live show that you can recall that you went to? We'll just 
pretend that Russ asked this because I'm sure he would ask it. What was the first show you went to, if you can recall most of it? Say whether it was a, a Munchnik car, which I'm going to assume it is. Or what? Yeah, I, well, like I said, I, I started going to the uh, wrestling at the Chase tapes. You had to be 16 years old to get inside of wrestling at the Chase. Uh, in fact, one of my uh, young men who still work for me to this day, Gary Jackson, um, we used to sneak him in when he was about 14 years old. Uh, his mother worked with uh, Mickey Gary Jola uh, at the uh, Ruggieri's restaurant where Mickey worked at. And uh, so I started going there uh, back, uh, I guess, one of the first cards I saw uh, that I can remember Johnny Valentine was on because he was always one of my favorites. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would, I had the honor and privilege of going with Larry. Um, and I think one of the highlights of my entire career is going to the office with Larry, uh, and sitting in there and listening to Sam be sitting there talking to Gene Kaniski, uh, in the office or Whipper Billy Watson. And Sam always told us, he said, what you hear in this office stays in this office. And he, he actually told us that we could look through any of the files Nothing could leave the office, of course, but uh, you talk about uh, a kid at a candy shop. I mean, and I think I've got a lot of those records to this day that after Larry passed away, uh, uh, you know, he left to me. Uh, I mean, contracts and uh, I've got all the matches that ever took place in St. Louis, either at the Chase or at the Keel or uh, uh, the Checker Dome. And anybody who ever wrestled, they used to. Uh, type them up on three by five index cards like your grandmother had on her recipe cards and uh, down to, uh, you know, a Dick to Bruiser against uh, John Paul Henning and Dick won in uh, four minutes and 32 seconds with the atomic drop, you know, um, very interesting uh, statistics. And, I, and I've got all them and I've got uh, programs that date back to 1934 that Sam had. So are those all published on a website anywhere or is that no, I've got them I've got them all in storage and uh and I you know my my goal in life as I reach my uh, next February will be my 50th year um uh, someday if I ever decide to retire from my day job uh, I I've got a dream of having a small uh, museum building cuz I've got like I said and I've got not only all the St. Louis tapes uh TV tapes um uh, like I said, the oldest I got goes back to 1962, uh, up till about 1983. But then I acquired Dick DeBruiser's library from uh, his wife before she passed away. So I've got all the TV tapes from there. Rhea, she, Rhea, Rhea had, uh, Rhea Atlas had, uh, she had quite a bit of stuff. Because I thought Jerry Jaffe, sort of in concert or maybe not with George Cannon, had gotten Bruiser's WWA stuff. She got, they got some of them, but they were uh, ones that had already been downloaded. I've actually got the TV tapes that were uh, still on the one inch TV reels. Wow. Uh, in fact, uh, Dick's ex son in law, Spike Huber, and uh, Dick's stepdaughter, Michelle, actually is the one who helped me negotiate the deal with uh, uh, Louise before she passed away. She was living in Florida. In fact, uh, Spike actually. Uh, drove to Florida and unloaded them out of the garage and brought them back to Memphis. And I went there and picked them up. And, uh, so I've got them, I've had a couple of them downloaded cause I wanted to check the quality of them, which is, is good cause they're still on the original TV tapes. And, uh, but, uh, and there's stuff floating around out there. Same way with the St. Louis footage. 
you know, Larry and I reproduced 12 volumes of the St. Louis Wrestling Classics. And we were working on volume 13 when he passed away. And people have bought them and they've taken them and downloaded them a hundred times and sold them. And people say all the time, oh, you ought to sue them for copyright violation. Well, you know, I'm an old man. and I don't care about that. I'm just glad that they're out there keeping the history of St. Louis wrestling alive because that's what I've been doing uh, all these years. You know, that's why I asked you when we spoke earlier, if the uh, the folks, either Brian Gewertz or Dwayne Johnson's people for this new Vice Network uh, series that starts in about a month. Uh, the territories. I mean, how can you not start with St. Louis rather than, you know, Dwayne Johnson, which is fine, but I mean, you know, one on his mom's promotion. No, the major promotion of Hawaii was Ed Francis Lord Blair's, and she came yeah. along later, pushed him out of the way. This was a guy who wrestled. His kids were all NFL superstars like Russ. They all dabbled in wrestling, most notably Russ Francis, who was a 49er, as Russ will appreciate, Russ, our Russ here. Uh, but Yeah, I was yeah. always a big fan of Russ Francis. Yeah. I just got a call this I just got a call this week from WWE wanting uh, some of the tapes of the Bruisers because they're getting ready to induct the Steiners into the Hall of Fame. And they're looking for uh, Steiners uh, first match against uh, the great uh, Wojo. Uh, oh. And I and I've got that and Wojciechowski, uh, so right? Yes. Uh-huh. So they uh, they contacted me Wednesday and and wanted to uh, see if I would make it available to them. And I said, well, we'll we'll talk. You know. Um, and, so and are I, you are you in the process of converting all these things to uh, digital? Because yeah. one thing that I'm worried about is that, especially with the one inch tapes, those are very delicate and they're not going to last forever. I mean, they've probably, I'm amazed they've lasted this long and still are good quality. Well, I, I, I can tell you, I'll give you a good example. The wrestling at the Chase tapes, uh, that 1962 tape that I got, that has got Johnny Valentine on it, uh, Pat O'Connor against Lorenzo Parenti. Uh, when we first did that 20-plus years ago now, when I had it downloaded, when we first took it to our production guy, and he said, how old is this thing? And and Larry told him, he said, well, it's 1962. And he said, wow. He said, I bet it's going to be sawdust when I open it up. And uh, he had the machines back then to, to do it. And I mean, quality is excellent on it. Uh, the thing that deteriorates a lot of them quickly is when you tape over them or you, you play them a lot. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, I, I've had two of them done. It's quite expensive to get them done. The first one thing is it's hard to find somebody who can do it. I've I've only been able to find a company in Arizona that did these two for me, um, but it's expensive to get that done. But uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get it done eventually. But, uh, you know, I got a couple of hundred hours of, uh, of tapes. You know, I got his Bruiser Bedlam show that he did. That was all part of the deal, along with a lot of the programs that he had and pictures. And so uh, uh, but I do want to get that done. And then like the wrestling at the chase stuff, I've got not only have I got it down digitalized, I got it stored in the cloud also. That's great. That's great. Thank you for doing that to yes. everybody. I wanted to ask you, too. I'll get with you on that because Pepper Gomez, a name that you know, well. the, uh, 1962 Roy Shire original. I've not even been able to view it because it's on film. Old show, TV show uh, from Channel 2 in Oakland, California, when Roy was still allowed to film there every week. Uh, but a funny story, if you didn't know, Roy Shire was booted out 
in uh, 19, late 1969, early 70, because he refused to stop spitting cigar juice on the floors. This is our top you know, non-network affiliate in the Bay Area, Northern California. And then he then got stuck uh, scrambling around for TV. So we went to a lowly station, like a, another hour and a half drive away from San Francisco in Sacramento, Channel 40, for his TV. But his lead announcer, who was like, calling games for the A's and an on-air newscaster for Channel 2 called the wrestling, sort of like a Joe Garagiola, not quite at that level, refused to make that longer drive. You know, he lived in San Carlos, was already a good hour and a half, two hours of San Francisco, add another hour and a half, and he, he quit because he was also doing the, all the play-by-play for Larry, Joe, Jerry Selzer's roller derby, you know, the big-time uh, global roller derby, not the... Uh, Griffiths family in Los Angeles roller game stuff. So now wrestling and roller derby always went together. You know, uh, the Bay Area Bombers, Joni Weston. You know, people like that. Yes, it, it was, was a, very it was similar big... crossover audience. Uh, Ray Stevens, when he was fighting cancer and disobeying the doctors at uh, Stanford Hospital, would go to Charlie O'Connell's bar in Hayward, California. <laughs> at night sneaking out when his ex who was a lady wrestler who actually claimed she broke him into the biz Teresa Thies said she broke Ray into the biz before they got married in like 1956 something like that uh Memphis and uh, she'd go to sleep he told me right on my tv show he would sneak and go to so the there was a lot of crossover and the moolah of roller derby and Calvello, and I'll get off this in a second. She skated in seven decades. She wanted to equal Lou Thez's, who she knew Lou. Yeah. She wanted to equal Lou Thez's record of seven decades. But in her industry of derby, which is like wrestling on skates, and uh, but she would pal around in like Hawaii when derby would go over to Hawaii in the early seventies. She would pal around with Pepper, who she had an affair with. Uh, Ray Stevens, Pat Patterson, and Nikki Bockwinkel, all names Herb knew. And uh, that was one of the best matches. Uh, uh, I forget if it was at Keel. I think it was at Keel where Ray worked with Pat O'Connor. It was like a 20-minute Broadway. But I just want to throw some of the matches I saw because uh, I want to ask you about Buddy Rogers' history with Sam and St. Louis. I don't know how many times you know it's saying the early 60s when the title went to him and then there was you know the creation of the tri-wf and then it was to our surprise and what was the year it's like 77 when vince senior joined the nwa and started attending the vegas meetings right and that was like a surprise to everybody but he was and had remained close to sam and Vern Gagne and eddie graham in particular who yeah, well, was the, the rumor was sam was the one that got him to become a member of it how, how and why did that come about? Because the Tri-WF or Capital Sports broke away from the NWF. Yeah. Uh, you know, I never did get all the uh, story of that. But, uh, you know, I, I remember Larry doing a lot of in-depth talk about that and, and how, like you just said, it was such a surprise to so many people. Uh, you couldn't see that coming, you know. And uh, But it did. So, Which is why he must have been rolling over in his grave with... Uh, Vince Jr. Uh, sort of disrespecting the boundaries. And, and that's why this territory thing, how can you, brings me back to my point, how can you not start with that? Because it was kind of incredible. He was kind of like a Bowie Kuhn or any czar of sports, meaning Sam, 
for decades and decades, sort of almost like Queen Elizabeth. He was there as NWA president for so long, whatever year when he and Lou, et cetera, decided uh, to do that. And at the same time, he has that massive global job as NWA president, you know, with yeah. ties to Ricky Dozan and then Bob is all Japan. Because, you know, at, at one time, Lou and uh, Sam, did, you know, they were in competition. They didn't they didn't see eye to eye. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, was that in the late 40s In the late 40s? Yes. And, uh, you know, they had separate promotions going on. Uh, and I've actually I'll have to show you, Mike, I, I've got the some of the, the programs that Sam had put together hardbound books of all those uh, programs that they had each show. And he had them in these. And, and I mean, they're in good shape. And I've got every volume of them. Um uh, from uh, sports printers is what's on. It's got Sam Muchnick and it's got the years uh, 1949 uh, uh, to 1952 and then 1952 to 1955. And uh, there's full of all these, you know, gorgeous George and you, know, you name it. Everybody who came to St. Louis is on these programs. And wh while you're bringing that up, who are some of the favorite talents that you uh, that you remember working with? And well, the rest of my yeah. point on St. Louis, you were invited. It was a great honor, like being invited to wrestle in Japan. So only the cream of the crop of talent. If you were the shits in the ring, you were never invited to come to work for Munchnik at the Keel or later Larry, etc. So it was the cream of the cream. Crusher, Bruiser, Valentine, Kaniski, all the NWA guys, the top guys. Uh, but I'll let. Uh, yeah, but of those of those cream, who were the ones that you enjoyed personally working with? Uh, yeah, like I said, the list goes on and on because, as Mike just said, you had to be the cream of that crop. And uh, and I gave you an example: Ric Flair. Ric Flair made it to St. Louis because of Larry Matasek. Um, and the story on that was is that uh, Larry had got a video sent to him from the Crockett's. And we, we and I was there the day we, that came in. We were sitting in the studio and he was looking at it. Pat O'Connor walks in and Larry's trying to tell Pat, hey, this guy can do some business for us. And O'Connor says, oh, he's too small. He, he won't draw a dime. And Larry and I looked there and there was a uh, the producer of Channel 11 KPLR, uh, Ollie Hofstetter was his name. And uh, I looked at Larry and Larry looked at me and I said, man, I don't know what Pat's looking at. And, and Larry, God, good thing, he got on the phone. He called Sam at the office and said, hey, I, if you're not doing anything, can you come down to the studio? He said, I want you to see something. And it was about 45 minutes later, Sam shows up. He walked in. He looked at the tape for about five minutes. He told Larry, he said, get on the phone with Crockett and tell him I want him in here. And to this day, uh, Rick will tell you that if it wasn't for Larry Matasek, he probably would have never made it to St. Louis. But, you know, um, People like Gene Kaniski, Big Thunder. Like I said, I can't tell you the times I'd walk in and Sam would be sitting on the phone talking to uh, Gene on the phone. Uh, um, they had a uh, issue uh, where they, and I, I can't remember who it was, they had a match uh, lined up at somebody. Oh, it was Dory. Remember when Dory had his accident and uh, or claimed to have the accident? And they were looking so he was dropped the strap directly to Briscoe. Yes. And, uh, they and it was a uh, that he had 24 hours to replace somebody, but you know that was one thing Sam prided himself in too. If he advertised somebody, he was darn well going to make sure 
that person got there or somebody of equal uh, credibility was going to be taking that place. And uh, the story behind that, it was actually uh, late night, him and Sam or Larry and Sam are on the phones trying to figure out what are we going to do? We got to get somebody in here and, you know, a big main event. And it was Larry's wife that just happened to throw out the name Gene Kaniski. And uh, they got Gene on the phone uh, late that evening. And uh, the next day when they showed up in the office, uh, there was uh, Gene sitting outside the office waiting to get in. So, you know, people like that, um, you know, Dick the Bruiser, uh, they all came through St. Louis. You know, there was some guys that uh, one guy particular that came to St. Louis one time and was never invited back. And that was a chic. Huh. Because because Sam didn't uh, go for the throwing of the fire and all of that stuff. Well, he's just I, I, Ed, I asked Ed, I ran the Sheik's fan club in the mid 60s uh-huh. and asked him about that much later. And he said Sam had told him no brawling outside, uh-huh. either Chase or Keel. I forget if he made it both. Keel. It was, it was okay, a Keel. Keel. And he disobeyed that. But he was just there primarily to do some business. Sure away from the ring and then you know okay we'll throw him on the show i don't know why sam had to know what sheik's gimmick was but eddie said eddie farhut said meaning the sheik himself you know the original the original sheik yeah the the real sheik the fireball throwing the most one of the greatest heels of all time not a classic saint louis bruiser or any of those guys in their day uh but I, you know, great heel because I, I shot him. Great in, guy. And I yeah. shot him in Toronto at Maple Leaf at Kobo, et cetera, in L.A. where he had a big history. But, yeah, that was that was bizarre. And I have John Toko's photos he took. I wasn't there for that when she came in. And he was all dressed to the nines, that famous suit that he always wore when it was something important, like an NWA Vegas meeting. Uh, but let me ask you as a longtime photographer since the 60s do you you had to have known john toko he was like yep. when the uh roger dean was much later you know around 76 he was running eddie gilbert's fan club and, and living in missouri i think him but, and mike gratchner uh, yeah mike mike Ratch was a big photographer prior to promoting for first ganya and then yep. Anya, i got a lot of mike's old photographs really yeah he was going to make my St. Louis thing. Were you at my, my three yeah. day thing? Yeah, were, yeah. Okay. I was there for, for a short time. I was running uh, in between uh, jobs at that time, uh, my job. But uh, I, I think the amazing part of that was is the amount of talent that you had there. And I remember thinking to myself, how does anybody afford this? <laughs> and then later oh, on, threw it. I didn't, I didn't risk a dime. I, I know I, later on, I found that out. So I had my hands, my question answered. Well, so I mean, it was because there was a lot of talent there. It was, it wasn't because of me. And then I already had uh black Jack Lance, Jack Lance had promised to bring in because the, the weird, the timing of it, which I planned was WWF and WCW were having house shows. Not that far away. I think both were in Illinois. So Lanza brings in Bob Backlund with all his history as Missouri state champion. He brought in uh, X number of guys, some with history in St. Louis, some not. Obviously, Teddy DiBiase brings in T- DiBiase, huge St. Louis history. But he brought in Kamala and uh, Wyndham and Mike Rotunda and Kurt Hennig. And then Watts was being uh, Watts had already promised me guys from WCW, but then it was when he was getting canned and dusty anyway dusty 
filled in and sent Dustin and a few guys during the daytime because they had the shows at night. But I had all of these folks, and then we uh, I've been going back and forth with Harry White. This is the weird thing. Very quickly, you may not. I've got two things you may not know uh, that Harry White passed away. You know, sadly left his beloved St. Louis when he got married. I think he moved to Dallas. And yep. But he told me and he showed me. So I'm, I'm there going back and forth for the whole year before my convention in St. Louis, May of 91. And uh, Harry's meeting up with me. He goes, look at all this stuff I got from Julie O'Connor. And when Julie brought the entire family, I also had the whole family of Bobby Shane. You know, that's where yep. he started. Very popular. And, uh, and Guy Brunetti and Joe Tangaro, their families. And Mrs. Tootsmont just came in unannounced. Tootsmont. Uh-huh. I don't know if she was in there, but she showed up there and it blew me away because I didn't know anything. I didn't know where she lived. I didn't know to invite her, but she came when she heard about this stuff. But um, so uh, Harry White said during a weak moment, this is before my convention, that he got Julie to just give him a bunch of office stuff from from Sam when Pat bought the office. And that included the Missouri state title, which he. I told him, do not sell any of this stuff. It should be the Missouri State title when he got the Central States tag belts from Geigel. And then he had a bunch of check stubs from wrestlers from the St. Louis Club where Sam would, or the secretary would make it out to the wrestler. The wrestler would endorse it. And Sam had retained all of these. You may have some of these. I have a few that Harry gave me. But Harry frickin' sold the Missouri State title to some mark in Japan with big money. This yep. is before it was eBay. And then he sold at least the central states tag belts went to a good guy in Portland, Oregon, historian Mike Rogers. It's got I don't know if he I, and I told Mike, as I did, Harry, give at this some point, give this to the Thes Tragus Museum, Mike Chapman's original museum. Mike was still part of it at the time. So people can share. So this stuff will be preserved. It won't be in some guy's house in Japan where nobody can see one of the most famous titles, probably second or tertiary to the NWA title and the NWA junior title that we most associate with Danny Hodge, Hiro Matsuda, Jerry Briscoe, etc. But it just irked me to no end that Harry did this and then admitted it. And he's shown me stacks and stacks. I have just maybe five of them. I've got a Johnny Valentine, uh, Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody one, and, and several others over the, the years. But Harry had all of these St. Louis, so that bugged me. But one positive thing you may not know, and it involves Munchnik and Kaniski, Big Thunder and uh, Kowalski, and I got included on a couple of these calls. It's like every Saturday morning, Gene said that he, on a three-way call, would bring aboard Walt Kowalski. They were both, people don't know, Walt was not quite the gun enthusiast that Gene was, but Gene was a major gun enthusiast. And then they would call and like rib Sam, sometimes the ribs you know, on the phone would involve rifles and guns, sometimes not, but they would like, and, and Sam knew what was going on. You know, every time they call on Saturday, he knows it's going to be those guys, but he played along with it. I got to hear some of it, but the I'm bringing up the camaraderie, the brotherhood that those guys had, the love, and I got to shoot. St. Louis was fun. The few cards I was lucky enough, you know, X amount of cards, styles clashes. I shot Briscoe defending the NWA strap at Keel against Ed Carpentier against Bobo you know, who he had to carry. Bobo was not the Bobo of the 50s, 60s physically, but Jack made him look like a zillion bucks. And a non-title match, because Dory didn't have the strap anymore. You remember this, her Dory against Keller Kowalski at Keel. Oh, oh yeah. 
And that was insane. That match was off the charts. And, you know, for anybody that loves pro wrestling, it was like the absolute epitome. But it was a styles clash. You know, it's like Fred Blassie shot at the HIC in Honolulu against Billy Robinson. And Fred refused to bump or sell for Billy Robinson, who was getting really pissed off. Not a guy you want to get pissed off. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, at an end. Yeah. <laughs> Mega show. Can, can you name any better, bigger heel than Kowalski? No, he's up there with my top. He and Sheik on a global scale, because Kowalski came in with our killer heel in 72. Yeah, that's what we used to call him, the punch kick heel, you know? Yeah, he was absolutely incredible, but one of the sweetest guys, and a lot of people... Oh, yeah. Sheik. When uh, when, Brosey, when Bruiser Brody was in St. Louis, he was he more of a heel or was he more of a face? He was, what, he, he was whatever he wanted to be, really. Uh, and again, and I tell the story, I, I just had it. We did TV tapings today for my little TV show we do. And I, I was telling the guys, I can take the biggest heel and turn him baby in one show or vice versa. And, uh, and it all depends who Frank was going against. I mean, you know, him and Flair had three one-hour broadways in St. Louis. Um, and of course, at that time, you know, uh, Bruiser Brody uh, was larger than life. I mean, I've got a big stand-up uh, life-size photo of him and Larry and Sam here on my living room wall. I mean, but those three are the three that I give all the credit to in the world. Uh, Sam and Larry, of course, early on. But uh, the, the best time of my career is when they introduced me to Bruiser Brody, because then from there... He introduced me to the guys like Blackwell and Murdoch and Greg Valentine and uh, people like that. Tojo Yamamoto and Gypsy Joe and, you know, uh, the list just goes on and on. Kamala, you know, uh, we produced the only show at the fa fabulous Fox Theater in St. Louis um, and had uh, had all those guys on the card. And uh, yeah, those three guys are the ones who really uh, got me uh, n known in the business. Herb, I've, I've always asked this question Russell, before. Hang on a second, Russell, hang on a second. Because uh, I know with Larry, I'm pretty sure Frank was billed under his most common name, a bruiser Brody. But with Sam, out of deference to Dick the Bruiser, he was King Kong Bundy there. Did Black, I don't think Black worked for Sam, but did he come in as something other than Crusher Blackwell for Larry when Larry started promoting? No, and, and, and you know, the, the story on Frank uh, Bruiser Brody, King Kong Brody, I've heard so many stories about that. And, you know, it was the fight between Dick the Bruiser and Bruiser Brody, which they did have a legitimate fight, but it took place in Peoria, Illinois. Uh, the night uh, I was in the locker room when that happened, and that was over money. The, the reason why they changed Bruiser Brody's uh, name in St. Louis, Sam told Larry, said we got three bruisers in town and i don't want that and at that time it was dick the bruiser uh it was bob bruiser uh, bob sweet tan and then bruiser brody and they came up with that's when they ended up putting frank on the uh marquee uh, uh outside the arena if you remember that mike uh, uh when they gave him the name king kong in fact, the lady who uh, Angie Warner still is in Belleville, Illinois, she actually attended Larry's funeral. Uh, she was the lady portraying Fay Ray in the King Kong movie, you know, is what they were doing. 
there's Frank up on the marquee and he's taking, the, they got the word wrestling spelled out in big black letters and he's holding the T and hey, come to the blah, blah, blah. And, and then another shot there, he's holding her in his arms like King Kong did. And the day they were doing the shoot, it took them almost all day because it was so windy up there. The microphone was picking up all the air noise. Uh-huh. And it was and it was Frank's uh, suggestion. They actually uh, took the they had the microphone pinned to her dress and it wouldn't uh, block the uh, air noise. He took it and actually pinned it up underneath his beard to keep the wind noise down. So we give Frank all the credit for that. Built in windscreen right there. Yeah, um, built in windscreen. I, now I've I, you know, one of the things I'm always fascinated with, because we've had a number of people from St. Louis and, and from the territory. We had, Darla, we had Darla on about a month ago and she put you over her real Darla bad. don't yes. know nothing about St. Louis wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm but, gonna tell you. You know, you know, she was and believe this, she was at the first card uh uh, of Dick Hutton uh, in 1959. Did she tell you that? Yeah, she was six months old and her parents left. And, and her, yeah, and her dad's running around ringside with his, with his six-month-old child in his hand. And and I don't know if she told you, but we were talking about that and I had a, I, ha, I have that uh, uh, program. And so I made her a copy of it and sent it to her. Oh, so that's she, nice. So that's she'd nice. have it. But what, what do you feel about the city of St. Louis and its inhabitants that made St. Louis wrestling different than the other territories? Well, you know, I'll be real honest with you. No Sam Muchnick, no wrestling in St. Louis. I, you know, and Mike said that early on when we started. Well, credibility, credibility was what Sam had. At well, eight. it was credibility, honesty, integrity. Him, Paul Bosch, uh, I met Paul one time at Sam's office. Uh, two of the most genuine individuals that you ever want to meet. But Sam, with his connections, you know, uh, his personal friend was Melvin Price, the congressman. In fact, I've got all the paperwork. I don't know if you remember, Mike, the uh, the um, uh, there was a lawsuit getting ready to be filed. Uh, um, and I got to be careful how I say this, but um I don't know if there's any statute of station, but 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 um, uh, uh, Melvin Price, the congressman at that time, uh, is the one who helped Sam out of uh, those problems. There was a uh, trade uh, trade issue. Oh, right. uh, Yeah. yeah. But when uh, when Sam retired that night, uh, Mel Price was in attendance along with Joe Gary. Joe came back to it. Gene Kaniski was there. Vern Gagne, as you said, Mike, it was kind of the it was uh, a. just almost as big as the uh, the party you put on for him. I remember at at, at the chase, or it, maybe it was it, it was at the chase after the big keel show, and I was lucky enough to shot Ric Flair's first keel NWA title challenge against Harley. And here's a story involving Frank Bruiser Brody: is that Flair was late. He was coming in with Patera from Mid Atlantic, I guess on a uh, Crockett chartered plane, you know, with all the problems Rick had with Crockett private planes and his own accident. But so he's coming in, but he's late. And Frank was the guy doing the belly aching in the back. And then he gave Patera and Flair shit when they got in late in the TR. And, you know, Frank was like a locker room leader, like 
today's fans would, you know, oh, like Undertaker. And I go, well, you know, sort of, even though he wasn't always on every single keel card, he was such a presence there. But those guys like apologized. They came in, you know, shook everybody's hand, specifically apologized for being late. But like even Patera was, you know, saying that they, you know, was throwing shade at, at Flair for them being late at this card. And I think in the opener, Dick the Bruiser was like in the opener, if you go back and look against uh, two, I don't know if it was Bob Brown and Akio Sato, uh, but, you know, it was like an amazing, a typical amazing Keo card. Or the I, I've told you this a million times, told Darla, the Harley race, Dory Funk, uh, was non-title, but it was still the main event. Or maybe it was, because Harley was champ, maybe it was a title match, but Dory loses his boot and just kept wrestling. And I, don't, I kept asking on both. And Dory has a brand new glorious book, The Last of a, uh, not Last of a Dying Breed, but it's a self-published book. It just came out. It's a terrific book. But I even asked him about that thing. I go, was was that a, a work? Was that like planned that you'd lose your boot, but you just valiantly keep wrestling with only one boot on it? I guess, I don't know. Do you know if that was legit in your mind? No, no I think he lost right. his boot from what he told me. I mean, uh, the boot uh, just came off. I saw that with yeah. John. Chris Tolis in a tag match with yep. Kowalski and Kenji Shibuya in Los Angeles in the main event. And I've never seen that either worked into an angle, even to this day. You know, you think somebody from today's AEW or WCW or Billy Corgan's NWA would lift something like that because it was very memorable. You know, we, you and I. Well, and, you know, Billy, the Billy Corgan thing is another story because I've been dealing with Billy for the last year over the tapes and, uh, in fact, I was just at a show in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago on that Sunday evening, and I went there because I was invited because J.J. Dillon was going to be there and Haku and those guys always come Tommy in for Rich, me when Tommy I need Rich was there. Tommy Rich, uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Pritchard was there, um, uh, uh, Ricky Morton. So uh, yeah, Ricky, Morton's yeah. son, Ricky Morton's son is way over. He's a good kid. Good hand. Yeah. Yeah. He was there that night. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to bring him in. That was just like a couple of weeks ago. How was that? It was two days of wrestling, big, long, very long cards, but then Fan Fest. And I think Billy has done a much better job. I, you know, Dennis Coraluzzo would trans me in to photograph the 90s version of the NWA, which was, let's be honest, it was kind of pathetic. They did try to get all these different indies from Russ and my APW to Puerto Rico to, you know, say they were part of the NWA briefly. But I think Billy, at least is, you know, he's got clout. He's got a lot of money. And uh, I, I think he's doing like the best, you know, it's not the real NWA, but he's doing a valiant. Uh, yeah, the, there, there's no doubt he's uh, he's trying. And, and I'll be honest with you, like I said, I've had several uh, phone calls with him. My attorney and I have conference calls over the tapes and uh, um Last year when he was in town, uh, was 73. Um, we were there with the book cause that's right when the wrestling chase book, cause you know, that's actually the second book that I helped. I helped Larry yeah, with his Larry's book too. The first one, right. 20 some years ago, it seems like. And then, so we were there, uh, with him, but, um, I, I think I may have uh, disrupted him a little bit cause I told him on one of the conference calls that unless he knows what the NWA actually meant, then all he did is bought three letters. Um, you know, he, I, I heard him on the uh, radio the week that he was in town talking about how, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to hear the stories kind of like when grandpa walked through the snow to go to school 
that's that's it's a huge story, but people aren't interested in that now. Well, I disagree with that. I think old school is still alive if you do it the right way. I mean, I just had Nick Alderson last night for our house show and did TV tapings today, and uh, the fans sitting on the edge of their seat if old school. And when I talk about old school, I'm talking about the figure four lock, leg lock being put on and the opponent reversing it, uh, or the full Nelsons, or the good arm drags, and uh, you know uh, all the chain wrestling, chain yeah. wrestling, Ed and chain wrestling. It's what they call it. I mean, obviously, it's the heart and soul of Corgan's yeah. promotion, the face of it. Very ethical guy. And Herb, you remember, he was the guy that gave uh, Dory his. Now, we gave Dory, I helped with that in Tampa in 1995. That was the first time we, CAC, we gave Dory a plaque. But uh, Nick Aldis gave him and gave a fantastic speech in Great 2018. Guys, yeah. and well, gave, and like I said, in. in and I had Tommy, Tommy Rich in uh, last month. And, uh, you know, it's um, when you have those guys uh, that come in. So I don't want to hear about old schools dead. And, you know, people say, oh, wrestling has changed. And I tell them, no, a headlock is a headlock. It was in 1930 as it is today. An arm drag and a toss is the same way. What's changed in our business is three letters and it's called ego. And this younger generation just does not understand what the fundamentals and the basics to go out there and do chain wrestling and tell a story. I mean, we've got stories that last sometimes six months. I mean, I'm getting ready to blow one off come October in a, a steel cage match with the faces of fear against the, the new Devastation Incorporate. Uh, you know, uh, oh, I love De Devastation Incorporated. Was, so who is the new Devastation Inc.? Uh, they uh, was a guy that was trained by Harley Race uh, named uh, Attila Khan and uh, Sheik Prater and uh, their handler who uh, knew Skandar uh, uh, pretty well, uh, Stephen E. We call him, uh, and it's a it's a, a gimmick that is over like a hot cake and uh, and of course uh, the, of course the faces of fear is Haku and the Barbarian and um, we had Haku in last October along with. Uh, 10 other of the legends that are a big show I did and uh, Dr. D. David Schultz and uh, the Rock and Roll Express Jerry Lawler was there and even wrestled for me and so I'm bringing Haku and he's bringing the Barbarian with him and we're going to put and those guys are still in pretty good shape aren't they well, we talked Haku's about that. Haku's sons are incredible they're huge yeah. stars but Haku himself is still yeah, in good Haku shape Haku can still go sure yeah he's going to be in Vegas with us here in a couple of weeks and uh I just love him, and uh, we we we've got a good working relationship, and uh, and that's one of the things, Mike, as you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you real quick. My first uh, encounter with Sam was at the Fairmont Park racetrack. Uh, Larry took me to dinner when I said, "Come on, we want to go to dinner. I want you to uh, meet with somebody." And I had no idea until we got there. And there, Sam used to like to play the ponies, and he used to like to eat the steak dinners at the, the racetrack. They had a little restaurant there, and when we walked in there and uh i mean i'm thinking holy i'm sitting here with god you know because uh, I, I was that kid at the candy shop and uh i was nervous as heck and uh, he's sitting there and we ordered and uh, he said you know larry says that you're running these shows and but you want to learn more about the business and uh, you know what do you want to know i said well i don't want to be no worker i've never taken a bump never will take a bump um <laughs> uh, but uh, I said, I just want to learn more about the uh, behind the uh, curtain, you know, the like the wizard, you know, 
and uh, he was sitting there with that steak knife and he was cutting his steak up and I, I can see him today. He took that knife and he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, I'm going to tell you what I told Larry. He said he took that knife and I thought, oh, wait a minute. I've heard all these horror stories about the business. I hope he ain't getting ready to cut my throat or something, you know, because, you know, back then the bruiser and I had some issues because I was running in his territories in southern Illinois and he didn't like that. And he was making threats, what he was going to do to us. And uh, but then we ended up being friends and Spike come to work for me. And but uh, Sam took that steak knife and he said, you keep. Uh, these open, pointed to his ears, and he said, pointed to his mouth, and said, you keep this closed, and you'll go a long way in this business. And he said, if you treat the boys right, they'll treat you right. And uh, here, soon to be 50 years, I've, you know, I've had uh, three guys that stood me up, uh, four if you want to count J.J. Dillon, but I don't count that because Mother Nature caused him not to show up. And he went on his social media and told all the fans, hey, I'm stranded. I'm on my way, but I'm not going to get there, but I'll make it up to you. But the first guy that ever stood me up was Buddy Landell, you know. Mm. Don't show Bud Rowe. That was his nickname. Yeah. I ended up replacing him at that time. Iceman King Parsons was really hot in the St. Louis area out of the Dallas uh, TV with uh, Fritz and uh, Bill Ash, who we just lost. How about uh, Bill Ash, Mr. Bootmaker? Yeah, Bill Ash was the one who I, I called Bill and said, look, I need a replacement real quick. And uh, he said, well, you got a guy right there in St. Louis. And the quick story there, uh, he lived in Richmond Heights, Missouri, and he just happened to be in town that weekend. And uh, he said, well, I need a ride. You got to pick me up. And I said, OK, well, I sent a limousine to pick him up. And uh, he come over. We did the show. Like I said, I had, you know, Tojo was on the card and Gypsy and Frank Morrell, who was the angel underneath the hood, of course. Yeah. And uh, and when we got ready to leave that night, I went to pay him off and the limousine was sitting outside there. And uh, the guy who was driving the limousine started talking about how he had to get up the, the next morning to go do a funeral. <laughs> And uh, Iceman says, what are you talking about? He says, well, yeah, I work for the local funeral home. This car belongs to them. He wouldn't get in the car and go home. I had to get him another car to take him. <laughs> so he, he was on some of Larry's, when Larry started promoting after Sam retired, Iceman was on some of Larry's shows. I, I, I'm pretty sure. So I have those programs somewhere, Larry's program. Well, we were, you know. Maybe you were doing something in concert with Larry. I don't know. Larry was doing, uh, Larry and Fritz was doing some, uh, dealing because just before Larry, you know, he started his own promotion and, uh, he'd already had, you know, he had Nikolai, uh, was in and he had, of course, Brody, um, uh, 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 Randy was on some of those shows. He, well, yeah, Randy was on and, uh, Tully Blanchard, but, uh, he was working, he, he brought Terry Gordy in and they were getting ready to bring the Freebird, uh, storyline up here and um and of course you know when vince came in and snuck the tv away from him that's kind of what put the nail in the coffin there but uh but he had bam bam and uh, uh tora tanaka was in working for him and of course you know he tora had been doing uh, independent stuff for me and uh, but if larry if larry and frank because frank was uh kind of the behind the scene guys there you know, of course, you know, in 88, when Frank got murdered, uh, he was with Larry and I the week before I had a uh, restaurant and bar in Cahokia, Illinois. And we had our one year uh, anniversary there and he spent the whole weekend with us. And then that following uh, Sunday is when he got killed. So tragedy. can you tell us also 
Maybe, and I know it's hard to Perhaps choose. We're winding up. We want to let him get his plugs in. That's fine. I just wanted to ask what your your favorite match was when you were where what sure. uh, uh, one of the ones that you promoted. If we can just find out, I, I, I'm just very curious. Oh, I know the ones that I promoted, man. I'll tell you, I, you know, Luthez never wrestled for me, but he did special guest referees for me. Um, I would say probably, and it wasn't a match that I booked, but. Larry and I had the opportunity of sitting in an empty arena at, at the fairgrounds uh, where I'll be running back on October 1st. Uh, we had a show that night and they were doing a big, uh, Frank was doing a big thing in Japan and they were going to have uh, Lou over there as a special guest referee. And Larry called and said, Hey, can we let Frank and Lou get in the ring Saturday before the show? They want to go in there and Lou's going to show him a few things. And I mm -hmm. said, only if I can be there. And so we sat there for three hours on that Saturday afternoon. And I got to watch Frank uh, Goodish and Lou Thez um, roll around the ring. And Lou was showing him uh, some chain wrestling. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't think I blinked at all. That's awesome. I was just so amazed. Take some Lou. pictures of it. Is there any photographs? Yes, yes, and um, what I remember about it is, is after they got through, because you know we had a show to put on that night, uh, they get out. Uh, Lou went over and grabbed a folding chair, leaned it up against the wall, and did 188 push-ups. I stood there and counted them after he'd been in the ring with three hours with Bruiser Brody. So he went back to dress out, get cleaned up, and because uh, he was going to referee that night for me. Uh, and Frank was standing there and Larry says, Hey, what was it like, um, being in the ring with the old timer? And he said, let me tell you something. He says, when that old guy gets a hold of your wrist, <laughs> it's not, it's not, uh, if you're going, it's where you're going. And, uh, it, Frank said he learned more in three hours than he learned in probably, uh, his early lifetime just from being in there with Luthez. And I always, that always sticks on my mind. Uh, one of the, I guess one of the other ones I really liked was Cowboy Bob Ellis. Uh, I didn't book it, but I was there uh, against Buddy Rogers. Um, and that's when they were doing the nobody can break the figure four leg lock. And uh, I always remembered that. That's always stuck out in my, uh, my mind as one of the all-time feuds in St. Louis, you know, or anything Fritz von Erich was involved in. But, you know, you said earlier, you asked about, you know, but you know, who the guys that came through, you know, Edward Carpentier, Red Bastine. All of those guys came through St. Louis. Well, well I was there too for Baba, the rematch between Baba and Briscoe because Briscoe yeah. over dropped. Briscoe. Tell me a bigger, tell me a bigger feud than the Briscoes and the Funks in St. Louis. No, that, yeah, no, everything was there, and and the one TV. I was talking this up to Darla. I was at the chase for it's the Funks against Kaniski and Jack Briscoe on free TV. On pre yes, on TV, something you never hear of. That's about as great uh, a tag match as I've ever seen. I, I didn't mean to interrupt Russ earlier, but let's let you plug everything. Wrestling at the Chase, the book, still available, still terrific. Everybody needs it. Obviously, the holidays are coming up. Where, uh, Herb, do you want people to, to purchase this book? Wrestling uh, at it's on Amazon.com or... Um you know, all the local bookstores, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, like I said, Ed Wheatley, the author, great guy, spent a lot of time working on it. Uh, real quick, when he, uh, you know, when his uh, publishing company called me and asked if I'd be involved, I originally told him no, because 
I said, I, I've already helped do a book with Larry Matasek. And they said, well, would you at least talk to the author? And so I, they set up a meeting. He came over and they'd asked me to bring some of the uh, memorabilia that I had on wrestling into Jason. I had a couple of tables full of it laid out when he walked in. And I mean, he was like the kid at the candy shop because he didn't realize. I mean, I've actually got a little pendant uh, that's got KPLR TV channel 11 on the one side of it. And on the other side, it's wrestling at the chase and it's, uh, uh admit, uh, one bearer and the number 44, which I haven't been able to confirm yet, but I was told it was Lou Thez's. And, um, it was, uh, ones that Sam used to give out to VIPs that they could bring guests in with them. And, uh, I carry that on my keychain. So, um, but so Ed was, uh, he was excited with that. He's seen all the stuff that I had and, he even gives me credit in the book on the back of the credits that says that, you know, if it wasn't for Herb Simmons, this book wouldn't be made possible. Nice. Um, and then we just did, I don't know if you know, Mike, we just published a documentary uh, and it's on the uh, nine PBS. Uh, we did the premiere um, a month ago, two month and a half ago here in St. Louis at channel nine uh, on the, it's called head over heels, uh, the story of wrestling at the chase. So Can I, is that online? Can people watch it's online? It? Yeah, it's online. How would they find it? It's it's head over heels. uh, The uh, story of wrestling at the chase. And he, uh, he is the one who uh, produced that with the local uh, news guy. Uh, And like I said, I was honored to take part of that. SICW is all through it. They interviewed, they came over uh, cowboy Bob Orton jr. Runs my ace wrestling Academy for me. Yeah. And then how about the information on your Academy and the fed that you run? Southern championship wrestling. Yeah, Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling, like I said, uh, uh, I'm the easiest guy to find on social media, on Facebook, uh, SICW.org. Um, like I said, we had a show last night. We had Nick Aldis there. We did TV Today. This coming Thursday, we're at the historical uh, Missouri Athletic Club in St. Louis, Missouri for a private show. Uh, we've got Sergeant Slaughter, Jerry Lawler, and Jimmy Hart coming in for that. Uh, you know, I've got on next Saturday, we're in Sandoval, Illinois with Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. There September 24th, we're in Fairmont city, a fundraiser. And that's what we've done for 50 years. We've helped fire departments, police departments, nonprofit organizations raise money. Uh, I've been in fire departments for 10, 15 years every year, helping them raise money. Uh, one of them over eight years, we've raised them over $40,000 in uh, proceeds. Uh, October 1st, uh, the big card, uh, the fairgrounds, we've got the uh, lover boy, Dennis Condry coming in, Oh, uh, Dan to be Severin will be there along with, uh, the faces of fear. Um, and I think there's one other one. I can't, I can't remember who it is. There's four or five of them I got on that card, but, but it's a, that's a fundraiser also. And then we're actually booking shows all the way into March of next year. Wow. As you said, you really believe in long-term booking. Well, I believe in booking backwards, and uh, Sam taught us that many years ago. I know where I want to be six months to a year out. Uh, uh, I just got to uh, know how to get there, and I know who uh, who I want to have in my key spots. If everybody stays healthy and stays with me, and I start uh, from that period of time out and booking my matches backwards. Wow, that's that's really terrific. Well, next time we won't have all the hangups on Skype, so we, we got it all set with you now. So we'd well, really I, love to have you back again on the I show. I want to have him on to talk about Buddy Rogers' history in St. Louis and Fritz von Erich 
and, and many of these guys. I'm more interested in the Fed that you manage now. I think that I'm fascinated. Yeah, with, we didn't even get into this Fed, really. Yeah, no, and I'm interested to hear some of the things that you talk about wrestling f f philosophy. I think that you you have hit some number of things that we've talked about on the show repeatedly, and and you know I may, might want to make you part of a forum of some other folks that we could all you know talk about indie wrestling today and the territories and maybe what can be done to make them a little bit more feasible. Well, and one thing is I'm very vocal about the independent, even though it is, I hate the word independent because as I tell some of the other promoters that I, I there's only a few of them that I will work with because some of them you, you can't work with because they don't understand territories. Um, I've got two of them in Missouri that I work with on a regular basis. I got, uh, Bert Prentice was a good friend of mine down in Tennessee. I used to do work with USA championship wrestling, but, uh, Mike, you know, you've been in the business long enough, uh, in wrestling, uh, uh, there are promoters out there that think about one thing and one thing only. And, um, and that's what I tell the younger generation nowadays. Um, you know, and that's why I've got guys that's been with me just today at our TV booking, uh, a meeting before we started taping, uh, the experience that I've got in the locker room. I've got guys that's been with me for 30 years now, uh, that are still getting out there doing the work and, and they started with me young um, and then with Bob running the, uh, ACE wrestling Academy for me, they train on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and I get a kick out of Bob. Uh, he'll come over and sit there and he's got a couple of our younger guys that get in there and do a lot of the rolling around with them. But, you know, he'll still lace the boots up. He was just in the show last month for me. Uh, his first, uh, cadet that uh, graduated his first student. We did a, uh, teacher and, uh, a graduate, uh, we built up a feud and, uh, then we tagged them together against my big uh, heel team. And it's all amazing stuff. We'd love to hear more about it. So we'll yeah. have you on the show again sure. very soon. So um, that's Perfect. all we have time for this week. And, and thanks for lending your credibility to this show as you do in your own locker room. Hey, anytime, Mike, you know, anytime you need anything, I'm there for you. All right. That's it for Thank this week. We'll see everyone next week. Good night, everybody. Don't worry. Good night.